0: You're now listening to the Talking Pictures podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California.
1: Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. Aloha, welcome to Talking Pictures. Wonderful day today. It's uh, Thursday, and we're going to be having the production designer of the latest uh, wonderful film, The Favorite. Uh, Most of you would uh, be attracted to that because Miss Emma Stone, we all love her and so many different things. Uh, today we're going to discuss, I'm really excited about this because this is one of the, uh, I don't, I guess, obvious film positions where it is very unique and it's not something that you meet as many production designers as you do cinematographers or directors or actors. So I'm really excited today to dive into not a subject that's new to me, but something that's not uh, my forte. So we'll bring on, welcome, are you with us? Hello. Hello, how's it going? Welcome. <laughs> Fine. Fantastic. Yeah, Hello, Fiona. Thank you for your time today.
0: No problem.
1: Are are you okay with telling us where you're at? Where am I I'm In London. Okay, cool. Well I never say where a guest is at, so that's why we like to have a guest. <laughs> um thank you. Calling from London. You're our first uh your first call from Europe. So thank you for doing this.
0: Oh no problem.
1: (laughs) So today uh, you know I'm sure you're informed I let the audience know that I am colorblind and it was something I really wanted to change especially watching this movie. Um, (laughs) I'm amazed by what you did with color and I was like oh I can't be specific about things but uh, I guess we'll jump right into it uh, with the favorite of course. Uh, For you because this movie for those of you that don't know it is a costume drama um a a farce it's very subversive it's a wonderful film uh for you what was kind of starting out I know it's kind of a cliche question but what's what's (laughs) what about this stirred your design eye like what made you be like I'm Um, jumping in
0: do You know I mean it was a combination of things I mean one of the i 've been a fan of Yorgos's work um and his sort of take on humans and his approach to stories um, since I saw dog tooth so and that was years ago so i was i mean when I was said untitled Yorgos Laphenus Project I was like oh okay i can 't believe i 'm reading this thing and then I knew that – well, actually, I didn't even know anything about it, but I started to read it, and I realized it was about Queen Anne, and I was like, oh, okay, so this is going to be interesting because it's period, but very quickly it was skewing, period. So then that – I realized I had a license to really play and that, you know, there it, there was an invention, you know, there, it was inviting invention, which um, which was exciting and different, you know.
1: And is that, um, I mean, so this director you'd work with, uh, what, I mean, this, this is a really, I mean, you guys obviously pulled it off perfectly, but I love films where you can kind of look at it and be like, that was really ambitious. Uh, did you have something like, I don't want to say you were out to prove something, but you were, you were like, okay, this is going to be really hard to do this. Yeah, I mean, like, was there an aspect well-
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we had very little money. I mean, that's one of the main things. And I think, you know, I mean, our budget was, you know, I think my department or the whole film was about 15 million from memory. And um, my department had 3 million, which in the scheme of costume dramas is not a lot of money. And the thing that's complicated as well is that we're not talking about we're talking about like the most beautiful environment, you know, this is the queen. So that was a kind of a pressure. And I remember we had to think about, you know, I just wanted to make sure that we were really attentive to making, you know, to to how to pull off, you know, like the the ultimate luxury um, with the money that we had. That was a, a particular challenge. But I also think that we, like, we all sort of just embarked on it without thinking, I don't know, we just kind of just did it. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't think anyone was kind of, you know, you sort of set a task and then it's like, okay, let's just follow through on it. And because on the page it had a particular tone, um, I think we always felt like we were released from the conventions of period drama anyway. Um, Yeah.
1: Oh, I like that you said that. I was was thinking that, that I was – I generally am not big on costume dramas. Um, yeah. And I think it is just kind of an acquired taste. So I went into it thinking, okay, I, I pretty much watch anything with Emma Stone. And I just totally loved it. And I, then I was like extra floored because, not that I thought I wouldn't like it, but I just knew going in. Um, and so so the, other, the thing that I was most interested in when I was watching it, and then when I got these wonderful models, and stuff was how many uh i mean because the favorite i i don't want to spoil anything uh but how many um like did you i saw that you did like were they foam models not foam models but what was the scale of your evolution of models like i saw that you had one was a drawing then one looked like it was maybe six inches tall and then you're having to deal with sets that were what 60 100 feet tall i mean how did how do you evolve through that
0: Oh, I mean, to be honest, I mean, we, I, we just pretty much, I, I rely quite a lot on reference. So I feel like I um, sort of create the language of the film through collecting lots of imagery. And then we refine that through doing sketches and drawings and then obviously doing architectural plans. And to some extent models, I because I was a theatre designer, I think like in a really three-dimensional white card model way, like that's just how I'm sort of programmed. And so often I work out how I think something's going to work, you know, in terms of scale and um, even in detail, I I often draw it and then I follow that up with a model so that because it's just how I, I'm not a computer trained person, you know, in terms of like those computer programs, I find them a little bit hard to look at. So I much prefer to have, a scaled thing in front of me, and that helps me compute it. Um, yeah, so that's just sort. That's how we sort of did it. But most of the drawings, like we would know that y- you know, like how something would fit. It's always a surprise though. Like you put something in a room and you think, Oh, really? Is that how it's going to be? You know, or is that what we thought it was going to be? So, um, but yeah, so it was a combination really, like that.
1: So you, so you, you're, you like drawings and. So, was there something you could comment on on what you don't like about computers, or is it just a personal preference?
0: (laughs) Do you know what? I think, like honestly, it's like I because I was trained, I was trained to build models in theater, and even painting. Like I remember when I was a theater designer. I would build the models and I would very carefully paint them. And through painting them, I would work out how I want, like, even the techniques. So you could blow up the way that I painted something. And that would be, you know, I'd say, okay, and then I used a whitewash and then I rubbed it back and I did this. And So in a lot of ways, I sort of did problem solving through that tactical work. and Oh, tactile work, I should say. And um, I don't know, like, there's something about computers that I just – I just don't think they ever get finishes right. I think it's all a bit hard edged. I just don't, I can't. It's not, it's not something I can tangibly. I mean, you know, I have to have computers now, and they are, and I have all sorts of clever people who sit and generate all the drawings. I mean, everybody, everybody would go mad if I didn't do that. But um, yeah, my my process is more three dimensional, and I sit and you know fiddle around with pieces of cardboard. And I did a film in Italy, and they only hand drew, and it was amazing. Like they only drew with pencils on sketchboards. It was incredible. Wow. I, yeah, yeah when I was looking, I mean
1: they're <laughs> like works of art. Yeah. That is the, Well, if if you're talking about coming from theater and painting, how did you uh, learn for yourself to um, like lenses and? the way a light that's too hot is going to be a little different than a, you know, how does, how does that evolve into your, the film meeting the theater aspect?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I sort of, I, I learned on the job basically. I mean, I was, I started to work um, as a film director called Justin Cazell, who actually was a theater designer and he and I worked together. I was the costume designer and he was, the set designer um, back in Australia, and then when he decided to become a director, he hired me to be his production designer. And so we did short films, and we did video, you know, um, promo video clips, and we also did lots of commercials. And so I just found myself being on sets and learning, learning how you know protocols, and learning you know how things worked on the job. And, you know, we were never really paid or anything. So it wasn't like I was, you know, completely I mean, we were just learning. And then one of the major like in a way I consider I when I did Top of the Lake, um, with Jane Campion, in a way that was like my film school. I mean she it was like a kind of, you know, six month master class where I got to hang out and watch Jane Campion work and, you know, she talked to me about lenses and she talked to me about framing and she would say to me, Fiona like when you're looking at a frame, you know, I want you to look at it like this and remember that this is what's going to happen when we come in for a close-up. So what you're putting behind someone is, you know, all of those kind of things that you would probably learn in film school, but I hadn't ever learned, but, um, yeah, I had Jane teaching me.
1: (laughs) Well, as I say, well, that's, uh, yeah, I, I play saxophone. Miles Davis taught me what I know. Um,
0: that's pretty amazing.
1: (laughs) Wow. Uh, that is, yeah, that's better than film school there. Do, do yeah. you feel, I mean, cause the, the favorite has so many elements and I know any movie that the production designer has so many elements, but I feel like this is just exceeds it. I mean, obviously for those of you that haven't seen the film, I mean, there's the costumes and they're so intricate and they're so detailed and then there's what paintings are in the background and then there's yeah. the sets are amazing. And you guys, obviously it's the illusion, right? That you have to have the sets not first seem like they were in the interior, Do you have you're bringing together so many elements? Do you think a production designer is more of a musician or a scientist? (laughs) Do you
0: know what? It's such a good question because there's something that you have to be both instinctive and impulsive and creative and um, you know not even necessarily have a like a a logic to why you're attracted to certain things. It tends to be so impulsive, but then. Equally, you have to be really practical, because so much of filmmaking is about tension. You know, like it's you don't have enough money and you don't have enough time, and you know you might love a certain location, but it's going to take three days to get there, and you can't. You know, there's all these kind of tensions constantly, so there's got to be an ability to think on your feet, and um, and whilst also being fluid and free to respond to stuff you know like to to make decisions about you know when you get some really like terrible news and you can't do you know like okay so this thing's fallen through but we need to shoot it tomorrow so what are you going to do so you've got to think on your feet which is actually one of the things I love about filmmaking so I don't know if that's a musician or a, I think it's a really interesting combination
1: I like that. I, I I like what you're saying about the rolling with the punches aspect and or rolling with something comes up, you can't shoot this, you can't do that. So that makes me think like with the favorite I I would have to sit and think, but I remember a, a multiple outdoor locations and then obviously most of the film takes place in the, in that room. But uh yeah. do you do you feel like so the big person be the first A D or the location manager? that you would say more? I mean, we all know the first AD sets the tone and runs the show, but on a practical level for what you're doing, would more of the location manager also be something you'd be really big on with your schedule and time?
0: Yeah. I mean, the we were really fortunate. We had a great location manager. Um, and because that film was so reliant, I mean, we, we really relied on finding a location that we had such... Um, we had so much access, you know, we were allowed to come in and basically take it over. Um, we, yeah. I'm, am I, I don't know if I'm answering your question correctly, it's breaking up a little bit the line.
1: unfortunately,
0: so I might be kind of veering off.
1: Oh no, I, I can hear you fine. But, uh, if, if it broke up on your end, I'd, I'm not sure why, um, is, is you, you made a jump a big jump from shorts to features and, again the favorite had such ambition and was just so like opera like um sorry operatic um is uh was there what was kinda of like the process for you jumping from shorts to features or was it kind of what you had said about just set a task and do it? I mean is it really just repetitive yeah. nature? I mean, I mean
0: Well do you know I mean for me what was so fortunate was I I mean I, I remember making the decision that I wanted to try to transition across to films from theater. And I, you know, I had an agent in Australia and they would send me up for jobs and honestly, no one, no one would give me a go. They were like, Oh, you know, you're really clever, but you know, oh, we can see that you could do this, but you haven't done it before. It's that classic, like, you know, we won't give you a chance until someone's given you a chance, but no one's going to give you a chance thing. And um, right. <laughs> in the end, this guy, Justin Cazell, got his first film, which was The Snowtown Murders. And he um, he asked me to design it. And the it was uh, a little group of us. We all went to South Australia, Adelaide, South Australia, and we made this little film it was a, a million dollars. And... I think we just were so off the radar that we all kind of just made it happen. And I remember, um, I I didn't know lots of things. Like we, I didn't even know I was allowed to leave honestly. I mean, so when I established a set, like normally you leave, like you can establish a set, you go back to the office, you start working on the next thing, but I wouldn't, I would just sit there outside like to, you know, all hours, just thinking, well, I'm meant to be here just in case. And, um, we had no idea what we were doing and it was incredibly happy and we all you know just learnt on our feet basically um and learnt to just follow our impulses and our instincts in terms of making the film and and then that kind of was my trajectory I kept I mean I was really fortunate and then I got other films and certainly Top of the Lake came very quickly and um I just got trusted to do it so I just kind of did it and I I now feel like I've got skills whereas when I was doing it originally I mean you know when I was doing Snowtown and some of my early work I just I mean I just guessed I was doing it correctly but I also wasn't sure but I kept getting jobs so it was kind of working out
1: oh what yeah, you definitely did something right on this one if you thought you weren't before. Um <laughs> I was uh that I mean to say the least. Do you, uh, the other thing I'm interested in is how um like you were saying you get a set ready you leave or some films you didn't uh I'm always intrigued by at what point in the process that uh that who is the who the cast is going to be starts affecting the design and not just by Okay, if it's Emma Stone's 5'4 and Meryl Streep's 5'10, but Mm. uh, when it starts to involve the mind of the designer
0: or or the department you're overseeing? Yeah, I mean, it sort of doesn't really. I mean, we're always interested. And certainly when you... I think when you find out the casting, it can inform... The sort of film you're making, like I, my last, my film that I've just finished uh, last year is um, called The King, and it has Timothy Chalamet playing Henry V. And when I discovered that that's who was cast, I just to- it informed the kind of film that I knew I was making. You know, if that makes sense, like, but I yes, don't. Yes. It doesn't really um, come into to play. I mean, it's certainly the personalities of the actors can affect the work we're doing in terms of, you know, there are some actors that are really hands-on and they want to be really involved in, um, you know, their their hand props and with their environment. And, you know, I mean, I've had, you know, a couple of that emailed me and sent me photos and we've had lots and lots of back and forth and coming in and, you know, previewing sets. There are other actors who just, just show up and they just the thing that's extraordinary is that they'll just show up, walk in the room and own it. Like they're just, it's like they've grown up in that space. So, you know, they're quite, we always offer, you know, I always make the offer that, you know, come in, we can talk about what's under the bed, you know, like what's in the cupboard or, you know, we can do all of that. But more often than not, they just don't, they're just able to come in and just inhabit it.
1: Well, and you're also, I... I guess, I mean, it's the draw and we know it's the process and we know the power of uh, having the actresses. I mean, obviously, Emma Stone brings in people and she's so talented. I mean, I'm, you know, I mean, I'm just saying,
0: yeah,
1: has a thought, I, you know, I, I can't, I've many times uh, people have said to me, oh, it's because she's so attractive. And I'm like, no, it's a serious talent. It's not just, yes, she's a beautiful woman. And intelligent, but it's like, to me, you're really pulled into this movie, and she's um, such a good, you know, the word "woman." I don't, the word I don't want to use, um, but she's just so snotty and horrible in <laughs> some of the stuff yeah, well, she that's does. that's
0: the thing I think about her her performance. I mean, the same can be said for the other actresses as well, Rachel and Olivia. But I think, like. I think Emma shows real wit with her performance. You know, she just, and I think she's so comedic and she's also, they, they all three of them lack vanity. You know, there's nobody posturing or trying to, you know, they're all ugly in their behaviour and, you know, they're just prepared to go where the film requires them to go. And I just thought, I think she's so funny. Um you know, where she does so, such brilliant facial expressions. She's so expressive that um,
1: yeah.
0: it's, I think that's particular. I don't remember that. I mean, I know she does it in her other, like I've, I've seen other stuff where she does it, but I think it was particularly good in this. her timing is so brilliant.
1: Oh, yes, I agree. I mean, I, one of the things that was sticking out for me when I was watching it was I know everyone sees things and it's, and it's their own opinion, but I was really intrigued because to me, her eyes are sometimes distracting. And being colorblind, I was just so intrigued by the fact that her eyes were sticking out of the color palette. So I'm wondering, aside from we know the director is the final say or whatever, uh, how do you – is there ever a time with a designer like when we were kind of talking about cast where you're like, okay, my colors are going to kind of be – affected by someone that has eyes that powerful or does that make sense if I need to reword it let me know
0: yeah no I mean I I don't think I know I've never really thought of that I mean the other thing is that you know I, I think what's so what is really strong that I think isn't being sort of recognized to be honest is that the, the makeup is incredible and that oh, and yeah. by that I mean that how natural and how unmade up the, the actresses are and um, in a way maybe that's one of the reasons why they, they appear to be so like she's so expressive in the film is because there's not you know that it's not all glossy it's really really natural um, yeah I mean certainly I know that I think from memory her hair they changed her hair colour I can't really remember or she had pieces and things so that was all kind of you know toned in and stuff but, yeah, no, I haven't really thought about
1: Emma eyes. <laughs> no, no, I mean, it makes sense. I mean, when, yeah, when you're building yeah, sets, you yeah. don't need to be thinking about Emma Stone's eyes. <laughs> um, <laughs> do, you have, do you have, like, something that you're, I mean, I'll put something on this so it doesn't sound like a cliche question. But so yeah. aside from your favorite aspect of designing a movie, something with the favorite that, like, brings out the kid in you where you're just like, wow, this is crazy that I'm doing this.
0: Ah uh, do you know what? It was probably making the bed. Just huh? loved being able to build that bed. You know, like it was just every single bit of it was so detailed and it was all you know, because I suppose my early work, you know, we were lucky to I mean, we never made anything. I mean we were we would find things on the side of the road. And there I was designing and commissioning a hand carved and hand painted bed it was just like whoa. and we had incredible like glassware hand blown as well and that those sorts of things i just sometimes kind of pinch myself when i see you know i watch the film and i see the little hand painted thing that somebody's using or whatever but i mean you know on a daily basis i would i would watch the the performances you know i stand side you know at the side of the set and i'm watching on the monitor and you just think i can't believe what people can do you know they're just in terms of performance and I'm this is the company I'm keeping it's pretty nice.
1: That's cool I like that answer Um, I love when people acknowledge that there's I don't I guess more than them in the room. (laughs) Oh totally
0: but you know what the other thing is that I I will say one of the great joys for me in terms of my job is the community that makes a film and this was a particularly lovely community. Like my, you know, I've been getting messages because of, you know, the nominations we've been getting. And, you know, one of my, um, the people that, the assistant set decorator who's responsible for all the little tiny details in the film, she wrote and said, this was the happiest working time, working experience that she's had. And, um, and there was a real sense of that. There was a really beautiful sense of, um, yeah, you know, just community spirit. We were all making something. We are all quite, it was so static, quite static. We were in the same location quite a lot. So you sort of, you weren't rushing around too much. We could all be kind of still and with each other. So it was a, you know, there was a really good energy, a lot of warmth in amongst the crew, and that's very important.
1: Well, I, I like that you're saying that, and congratulations on a um, BAFTA nominee. Thank you. Is, I don't mean saying like, who is she, but I just mean... Um, is Alice Felton, like, is that like your set designer or what is
0: she's Alice Felton's my set decorator. And so we work together, um, a lot. I met her when, when I did a film called Macbeth and, uh, we've done this stuff. We've just done four films together now and she's like, she's my person. You know, we have such shorthand and um, (laughs) yeah, like, you know, we have a lot of fun. We, we have a really good time. We've got a good little gang of people now that we traipse around making movies together.
1: That's awesome. I mean, I I think that's the number one thing to look for. So yeah, I, you know, I, I, I do this show and I let our publicist friends know, and I like to also be learning also. So sometimes I'm, I don't research certain aspects just because I want to have some mystery as well. So yeah, uh, this is, you know, this BAFTA thing, I, I, I'll admit, I looked it up on Google, but uh, um, <laughs> so this actually brings me to a great question because, or not a great question. I never to- toot my own horn. Uh, you're, <laughs> so I have this right. Cause I always like to know what the guest goes through. Cause like you were saying, some films uh, there's a budget concern or someone has to do a couple of mm. jobs or so you're in charge of uh you you oversee everything but like how can I put this you, you you oversee the costume designer say but the director wants the costume change so it's your job to talk to the costume designer no or the no. director goes to the costume
0: the director would go to the costume designer I mean like technically I remember being told the production designer is like I can pull rank I would never I would never pull rank I mean certainly not with Sandy Powell who's one of the most brilliant costume designers ever um, but yeah I mean I haven't really ever I the thing that's interesting about me was that I was a costume designer and I did um, my first film I did costume design and production design on that and it had it has come up in the past that I was asked to do both departments again but I am so happy to leave costumes to costume designers I mean we have to be very um, collaborative because obviously you know colors and textures and what one department is doing needs to really be tightly you know connected to the other department so the costume designer and I always sit down and have meetings and sort of talk about what we're thinking and you know the best the best relationships are often where there's this kind of unspoken, you know, you're drawn to similar things. And I've had that a number of times where, you know, we, I've shown up with exactly the same piece of fabric as the costume designer has. And we're like, oh, okay, great. We're all on the same page. So um, <laughs> right. there's a lot of communication between the departments to make sure that we're, you know, always speaking together.
1: Okay, so I'm I'm interested in that because also like with I'm I'm assuming but maybe because you were saying there was some off the radar films or uh, indie stuff. Now has a production designer. Obviously, you're working with the director, but is there any kind of thought to if the director is also uh, the editor and the producer? So he's kind of like your boss, and then he's kind of like the director boss, but then he's also going to be putting the images together of what you guys made. I mean, how is, how does that make it different than when I'm just directing and telling you this is the set I yeah. want? Is there a difference?
0: Um, well, I always think if a director's a producer, then they have a responsibility to be practical, you know, like then if they're like, they should be aware of, um, you know, the, the issues that might be coming up that are to do with budget or, you know, some particular thing that's a bit sticky, because quite often I'll protect a director. Like I won't go to a director and say, you know, hey, listen, we just don't have the money to do this thing, or hey, listen, you know, I'm, this is not going to happen in the time, or, you know, whatever, there might be some concern. I wouldn't normally go to a director to say that stuff because they have so much going on and they have every single person coming to them and, and requiring something. Um, but if they're a producer, then they need to know that stuff. So that sort of changes it a little bit, but, um, I don't really think, you know, in terms of an editor, um, I mean, it's an interesting question because then they probably are thinking more about coverage and what's required because they're thinking, they're kind of thinking down the next kind of step of the film. But most directors are things like that anyway. I think they're always kind of they're very aware of the the beats that they need to tell the
1: story. Yeah, because I, I, I guess uh, and if you don't want to answer this because I don't want to give away any of the illusion or if it's something that's secret, is all these all the interiors. I mean, they weren't part of the exterior, right? I mean. Or did no, you they, have a they, place where you could build sets in 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 a, in a in, on a location?
0: Yeah, yeah. So we were so we were based in Hatfield House, and so uh, the, like the Queen's bedroom, for example, that's a room there. And then we added some panels, and we added we added bits and pieces to that room to make it functional for our story the same with so there are different rooms in the house they have you know there's some wall paneling or there's like some cover-ups or there's bits and pieces built and then we obviously built sets like the secret corridor and um, Abigail's bedroom was a set build that was at Hatfield house and then the exterior is really very heavily VFX in terms of the actual building so We did a big set extension on that because really Hatfield House is a much smaller building than it appears in the film. When it sort of, it's kind of playing a place called St James Palace that exists. But that you know, like those those kind of the palaces are generally kind of sprawling, and they also tended to be you know they kind of there are different periods. You know somebody was you know came became a king or queen and they put a wing on, and you know so it's slightly it's sort of They're not, um, they tend to be a bit rambling when you look at them on the exterior. So we did that with VFX, but the actual Hatfield House location is much smaller than it appears. And we did have to build a big facade piece to to sort of hide some things that didn't quite work for us as well. So, um, yeah, there's quite a lot of subtle modification through. through the house but with the intention very much that you can't really tell where we begin and end because uh, okay. there's so much in that house that is absolutely brilliant that I just basically lifted all the bits that I thought we should kind of extend and grow. Like, for example, the secret corridor, or secret passage, you know, that joinery is copied exactly from the joinery of Hatfield House. So it all feels like a continuum, you know. We we put black and white tiles in places that didn't have black and white tiles because the black and white tiles became a theme, you know, so stuff like that. We sort of went through the house and, you know, created little thematic kind of visual beats from the existing architecture and then extended it into the set builds and the design.
1: That corridor, congratulations on that because that was such a creepy corridor. I mean, I know it plays off of Emma Stone and it plays off of what the script is dictating, and such a wonderful message of or marriage of all the elements. Yeah. Do you do you have a um, either a number one not number one, a great lesson for yourself or others that you you got to sit down and just be like, you know what, I would have never learned this had I not done the favorite.
0: Absolutely to trust myself, to be honest, because your really was he was really hands off. And so I remember being a little bit unnerved at the beginning where, you know, I'm used to directors wanting to see everything and like approving everything, being really involved, like wanting a lot of conversation. And Yorgos didn't. <laughs> and he was just like, he completely trusted. And it's not just me. It was also, you know, the hair and makeup designer, Nadia, and um, the costume designer. We we're all He basically let us, he wanted us just to run with it. And so when I worked that out, I remember saying to Alice, my set decorator, you know, we, we can just do this and we, uh, let's just do it the way that we see it. And, um and we did. And I, I, I think I have more confidence as a result because I kind of, I could just, we ran off our own steam in a way, you know?
1: Wow. I, thank you for sharing that. I mean, that's a really uh, great lesson. Uh, Trust in yourself. I, I was, I guess, I was really in awe of the work you guys did because it was, oh, yeah, and I I don't think I had told them to let you know. I don't, I mean, I mean, in a nice way. I don't say anything the guest wants to hear, so my, I'm very, genu- you know, like, I'm very, like, when I'm saying I liked it, I actually liked it. Like, I'm, uh, and I, you know, I've had friends be like, oh, you're really laying it on thick." I was like, no, I actually liked the film. Why would I have, you know, why would I have, so- if I didn't like the favorite, yeah, yeah. I wouldn't be like, can I talk to someone who worked on it? Um, yeah. D- now, do do you? I always have to go through this cliche question, and sometimes it bothers me. But today, it's not. Uh, did you have mm-hmm. some films for you that inspired this? Because the first when I first thought, I thought of Barry Lyndon. I thought of Kubrick's film. Mm. But do, what was, what works on your?
0: They were yeah Barry Lyndon. There was Draftsman's Contract, which was I think is really interesting for this um, because it's quite. Um, it has a kind of contemporary vibe about it, even though it's a period film. Like, it's a really interesting-looking film. And then the other one, Yorgos gave me um, Cries and Whispers as well. And so uh, they were the main three. Yeah, that they were the sort of, the kind of cornerstones. And then Yorgos also gave, he showed me... I don't even know what it was, it was a Greek film with a really interesting kind of like dance sequence in it that is not, it's, it's in the world of the stuff that, the, the sort of movement that's in our film. I didn't watch the whole film, he just showed me that and then, so he would come and give me little kind of clues about the way that he was going to cover things or how, you know, the kind of language that he was um, considering
1: yeah oh, okay cries and whispers you know that makes me think of when I was like 20 years ago when I was like 19 and I discovered Bergman's films but then also that there was an Ingrid Bergman <laughs> yeah <laughs> I would get, and it just you know you're like oh I, I love Bergman and it was like you wouldn't but cries and whispers I remember the first time I saw that I had to turn it off because that scene where the women sit sick and just crying and moaning and then uh yeah. you know now now that ten years ago my grandmother passed away from cancer, so I've seen that in yeah. person, so I probably wouldn't be able yeah. to watch it. But I like that you bring that film up uh This leads us into our last couple of questions, uh and um we ask each guest this for the last probably thirty or forty episodes or more. Do you have a <laughs> dream genre, and we are like let's say the script works, the directors there all the normal elements, but your dream genre to design.
0: Do you know what? I would love someone to give me a sci-fi. You know, I I love, love, I'd love an arrival, you know, or something like that. I just would love to tackle. I'd love to tackle something that doesn't, we don't know exists. I think that would be amazing.
1: You know, you know, it's funny because this question, uh, each cinematographer says sci-fi and they cite what you just said, they go, it's lighting a world that's, we don't know is there. Yeah. And, and uh, so it, it got to be the point where so many people said sci-fi, I almost dumped the question. And then I started getting, other <laughs> answers. but I, so it's cool. Every answer is good. That's our theory here. Like there's no right or wrong answer. Now it's just, the next question is just the flip side of that, which is, you know, budgets there, stories there, you know, but, you know, you haven't eaten for a month, lights are off, they're repossessing your car, but there's no way you're doing this genre.
0: Ah, uh, do you know what? You should never say never, but I just can't see myself doing a
1: romantic comedy. Oh, interesting. <laughs> you know, that's so interesting, because that's the number one answer for this question. Oh, really? Yeah, I've gotten so many romantic comedies. Well, first, all due respect, they say no adult films. Then they say, no, oh, nothing yeah. that harms children, which is kind of obvious, you know. Um, yeah. But uh, but then they say rom com. And I'm starting to think, with how romantic they are, how they have such a bad rep with designers and cinematographers.
0: Well, do you know what it is? It's, <laughs> it's like, it feels like, I don't know, there's not, i like, it would depend on, you know, who's doing it, of course. But. It's that kind of perfection, you know, the way that people, like they always have amazing houses, even though they might have an ordinary job or, you know, they're all really good looking or like there's just no, like for me, there's no, I don't know, I don't know, like I guess it's escapism or something, but I I think I'm attracted to the mess just naturally in things. So I just want to see the... I don't know. People with no, broken a, teeth are more interesting.
1: No, that's a great way of explaining it. I mean, you could kind of look back and be like, "They always have time to go to the gym, and the women yeah. always want to talk to them, and like they don't feel insecure and they don't cry, and there's yeah, like all of the yeah. stuff from the real deal is taken out." I you know, I I really like that you said that because I never, uh, you know, I who doesn't like to turn on a cheesy romantic comedy sometimes on Netflix? Well, this and just is the
0: thing is I do watch them. Like I have watched right. them. And I and I enjoy them, um, but I just think I might I'd be well. It's kind of like you know when I have to do, well, when I do commercials and I you get told we just want it to look like a Swedish interior and you just think oh okay again <laughs> you know it's like oh, okay well I guess coffee table books you know tasteful
1: lamps you know to be all of that stuff I love it. coffee yeah, that's, I mean, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm always, in, I'm really, I'm always intrigued by anyone that does um, something I know, like, and I don't mean this the way it sounds, but something I couldn't do. And that's yeah. like what I'm so intrigued by designing, because of course, no director is ever going to hire a color blind, blind production designer. Um, you know
0: what, I know one.
1: You do? That's amazing. I mean, yes. Wow. And he doesn't
0: want people to know, but he was a yeah, he's not a designer now, but he was a designer and a really successful one, and very very talented wow. but he and he's colorblind
1: oh my gosh, yeah, that's amazing wow i mean i'm like i mean I'm like mister, I got d's in cinematography, and you know I was just kind of walked away from understand it, you know my cinematography yeah. teacher in film school was like all you need to know is someone's not wasting your time. That's it. Yeah. I said, okay. (laughs) So, uh, we, we kind of have come to the end of our questions here, but again, we're so thankful for you doing this. Um, and we appreciate, of course, Meredith and her crew, Jessica setting this up and we're so excited to have you on. And, um, if there's anything you would like to close with, we always give the floor to a guest if they want to say something.
0: Um, oh, I just want to say thanks for having me. Honestly, I really enjoyed our chat. It was great. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much. And we'll of course get the link to you through all them and uh, and and best wishes for the award season. Even though I can tell from talking to you, you don't do it for the accolades, but the show does wish you the best the award season.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Excellent. Have a wonderful day. And again, we appreciate everything.
0: No problem. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Bye.
1: Bye. And that was. Uh, Miss Fiona Crombie of uh, production designer of The Favorite. I'm going to go now because I'm really, really super excited and I don't want to start rambling. So, you know the deal, whether it's morning, afternoon or night or whatever other time of day you find. Make sure to watch a good movie. Aloha. Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast. Real conversation and movie induced inspiration.